0: New Thinking Aloud Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with parapsychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today I'd like to address the topic of paraphrenia and the alternatives to paraphrenia. Obviously, I've got to begin by defining what I mean by paraphrenia. It's a technical term of a a psychodiagnostic category that uh, refers to people who are perfectly normal in every way, but nevertheless they maintain some form of psychotic delusion. And uh, I first learned about this term from my good friend John Alexander, who has been interviewed on this program several times. Now, John is a a person who uh, has been identified by some people, uh, mistakenly in my opinion, as a, a government agent of disinformation and and he shrugs that off i believe that uh, john alexander is being perfectly sincere when he debunks certain myths and, and and in particular myths associated with ufo's but john and i both know uh people in our acquaintance who seem very normal well balanced healthy people, and yet they hold certain belief systems which are completely at odds with a conventional, rationalistic view of the world. Uh, And A lot of these belief systems are common uh, in the UFO community or in other metaphysical and spiritual communities. Well, to be honest with you, mainstream religion, how many people believe in, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ who arose from the dead? Uh, now, that would be considered a paranoid belief A uh, that would justify the label of paraphrenia, if it weren't for the fact that it's socially sanctioned. That a lot of people who accept the uh, idea of the resurrection uh, do so because of uh, they participate in a, in a social group in which that's considered a reasonable and acceptable dogma for that group. But if you belong to some sort of fringe group, if you talk about resurrection of the dead in the context of Native American rituals or African shamanism, and I've have programs on both of those, well, you might be regarded as a little delusional. But uh, for our purposes today, I'm not referring to conventional religious beliefs, as bizarre as they may be when you pick them apart. I'm talking about the nature of reality itself. and The reason it's, it's an issue right now is you will find on the New Thinking Aloud channel, a number of upcoming interviews, for example, on Native American shamanism, where uh, we do discuss the the actual resurrection of dead uh, animals, dead people, uh, apports, Uh, and of course, uh, there are upcoming interviews and previous interviews having to do with uh, UFO related abductions and encounters with alien beings. Uh, these are the sorts of things that would normally justify the label of paraphrenia on somebody, a perfectly normal person who talks about things that to uh, a conventionally minded individual are impossible on the face of it. And if you believe in those things, well, you might be deluded, but you, even worse, you might be subject to some form of uh, mental disease. And that's, that's what the label paraphrenia implies. Now, there is a problem with that label because For the most part, Uh, in my studies of clinical psychology, a a diagnosis of mental illness really only applies if the person is suffering, if the person is uh, uh, not able to uh, function adequately in society. But in the case of the paraphrenia label, that's not the case. We're talking about well functioning, healthy people. So, what is the alternative? And the alternative uh, is one that uh, seems... You know, when I grew up, uh, I I certainly remember my early days as a college student, I I believed in a a rational universe. I believed in the scientific method. I believed in trying to uh, resolve the uh, issues associated with cults and associated with strange belief systems and new religions by trying to look at them rationally. In fact, that was one of the reasons I was drawn to parapsychology. But as I get more deeply into it, as I study, for example, the idealistic philosophy, of uh, some of our guests like Bernardo Castrup. If I look at the writings of uh, Paul Levy, who suggests that this world is a dream world. If I consider the interviews with uh, Jason Reza Giorgiani, who talks about the possibility that we are actually living inside of some sort of a simulated reality. In other words, uh, there, there's somebody out there creating the simulation that we're part of, seductive as it may be, and and that that idea is now strongly supported by the findings of quantum physics. You know, when I wrote my first book, The Roots of Consciousness, which was published in 1975, we talked then about Bell's Theorem, the physicist Jack Sarfati actually wrote a section on the phys- physics of consciousness for my book back then, and uh, we discussed the Einstein-Rosen-Podolsky paradox and and Bell's theorem. It was just beginning to be tested at that point by physicists like John Clauser at Berkeley, who w- would hang out occasionally at the Institute for the Study of Consciousness, where I lived. But now. Some 45 years later, there have been numerous tests of Bell's theorem. And as we've discussed many times on New Thinking Aloud interviews, the implications of those tests are just staggering for what we understand the nature of reality itself to be. It's no longer possible to say that reality follows uh, logic and rationality because the results of all of these tests suggest that there is no such thing as an objective reality independent of our observations of it, that we are all swimming in a, a mutual reality that we share but we're creating it by observing it. And, and as my friend Bernardo Castrop would say, there's a kind of transpersonal consciousness greater than any individual, which is also uh, responsible for the creation of this reality. But if the reality ultimately is based on consciousness rather than on the mechanistic principles that uh, one might say, underpin the physical universe so that everything can be explained like uh, rationally in terms of, you know, the, pin, the um, billiard ball movement of all the tiny particles. At one time, it was thought that if we understood the position and momentum of every single particle, we could predict the beginning and the end of the entire universe. That no longer, (laughs) I don't think anybody holds that view any longer. Reality itself is more malleable. So when people talk about things appearing and disappearing out of nowhere. Beings can uh, suddenly enter into your bedroom and perform physical experiments on you and and then vanish. That There's some kind of overlap between the dream world and the uh, world of waking experience. These ideas, which seemed to be the in, it, to exist only in the realm of fantasy literature and poetry are now beginning to take on, uh, to my way of thinking, certainly more of a respectable aura. That uh, the, you know, in the novels of, of Philip Pullman, I uh, is a British novelist whose work I admire. Uh, he talks about an alternative world in which. Uh, physics, as we think of it today is known by a different name. and that name is experimental theology. And I think we're moving in that direction. So yeah I, I bring this up because, I have to ask myself all the time when I have guests on and I have an interview with one such guest scheduled in a few hours today, Angela Thompson Smith, who has already talked about her remote viewing or telepathic communication with alien entities and will be soon talking with me about her uh, abduction experiences and uh, the prospect that uh, some abductions are actually being carried out by the U.S. government, things that I, for a long time, wanted to have no part of. Well, I could dismiss her as being a paraphrenic, or I could say, you know, hold on here. Hold on. What have I myself experienced in my own research over ten years with Ted Owens, the PK man? I have seen enough in my own life to know that I can't dismiss the idea that the uh, dream-like, movie-like existence in, in, in which we're moving is far more malleable, far more flexible than would be considered uh, according to traditional Western Enlightenment rationalistic philosophy. That's my point. Not that I have formed a final opinion on any of this. I keep an open mind, and a skeptical open mind as a matter of fact. But I think there's a big difference between uh, honest skepticism and the tendency to want to debunk and dismiss which i hear occasionally from viewers well those are my thoughts and uh, of course i want to leave you with a, a question for yourself and that is how do you integrate some of the very bizarre stories that you will hear on this channel how do you integrate those into your life is there do you notice within yourself a tendency to want to dismiss it I want to dismiss uh, alien abduction stories. They're uncomfortable. They're unpleasant. They seem as if, you you know, if you take them literally, you have to ask yourself if there aren't thousands, if not millions, of people who are being abused by uh, entities from hyperspace. I, I would prefer not to think about that. Well, but I do. I do think about it. I think uh, it's worth considering ideas, even though they have unpleasant implications. And I'll leave you with that thought. Thank you so much for being with me.